In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we've had a couple of weeks off. So just as a, uh, as a kind of a reminder to all of us, so we can try to remember what it is that we've been studying. We've been studying in the book of Joshua. Can someone give us kind of a really brief uh, overview, background of uh, the book, the time, place, the time and place that it's happening, and what we've discussed so far? Does anyone remember? Joshua. So who is Joshua? He's uh, in the Bible. The, the son of Nun. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so who is, uh, he is the disciple of who? Of Moses, okay. And what happened after Moses died? Joshua becomes the leader of Israel. Okay, and what is the mission that Joshua is preoccupied with for his whole life? To what? To clear, clearing out the people who are in the land of Canaan or Israel, what will become Israel. Okay, and this is all by divine command, right? So God is the one who is telling the people to go. And of, of course, we refer to this as the promised land because the people have been wandering in the desert for 40 years um, they had the chance, the opportunity to go to the promised land four years prior. They didn't want to go in. They were afraid to go in. And so they've been wandering around. And now they are at the border of the land. Moses dies there and Joshua leads the people in. So what, is, what do they first do when they go in? What do, how do they go in? They cross over the Jordan. Okay. So the, it says the water of the Jordan stood like a like a like a like a wall of water allowing them to pass through like the 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 water stopped flowing pretty much and they 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 were able to pass through what was the first encounter that they had after they crossed the jordan the city of jericho okay so before the city of jericho they meet um someone who is it that joshua meets he he, he refers to himself as the commander of the army of the Lord, okay, which we believe is a, a pre-incarnate, uh, a pre-incarnate manifestation of Christ, and essentially this commander of the army of the Lord says to Joshua that he will be with him and that um, God is with the army and so on, giving him encouragement in all that it's about to happen. Then they get to Jericho, and we know about in the city of Jericho how is it that they were able to conquer the city. What are they? What is it? Huh? They walk around the city. They walk around the city. God tells them walk around the city for seven days. On the last day, walk around seven times. The priests are blowing trumpets, and then the walls fall. The people go in, and they conquer the city. Okay. And we spoke about how how God uses many different types of methods or, or or examples of how He works with His people. Right. And we spoke about kind of like three different distinct things. The first one is Jericho, where God says to them to do something that really is 100%, you know, yes, obviously the people are obeying, but the thing that the people do to obey really is not like from a logical, rational perspective, is not really contributing to the victory. God is telling them do something and the people are doing it and it's 100% so that they would be able to see God is with us in this war because he is the one making the walls of Jericho fall. We didn't try to attack the wall. Like We didn't do anything to the wall. 
the wall fell right by itself because God made it to fall. This is an example of God's like complete work and intervention in our lives and in the lives of Israel. Okay, we spoke about that. Then the next thing that happened is what? After Jericho, where do they go? The Battle of Ai, which is a much smaller city, which was not as fortified as Jericho, right? And so Joshua says, oh, well, this is an easy battle. We're going to just go and send, like, not, not the whole people, just send, like, a few thousand people and, and have victory over them, thinking that this is going to be an easy battle. But then what happens? Hmm? They lose. Why did they lose? Carmi. So there's this man, Achan, who had taken of some of the accursed things that God had told him not to take after the victory of Jericho, and he had taken it for himself, and he hid it in his tent. And so when they went up against the city of Ai, of course nobody knew this at the time, when they went up against the city of Ai, they lost. Joshua, after the loss, he was so distraught, and he went to God, and he's like crying, and saying, why are you letting us to lose when you told us that you were going to be with us? So God revealed to him the reason, and he told him there's this man and 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 he revealed to him who he was and then once they found out who he was they killed him and they destroyed all of his possessions all of his all of his family everything to sanctify the people again um for the battle okay then he goes to battle again against i and then god tells them to have a certain battle strategy what is the battle strategy that they were to have They're going to lure the people out. So they're going to break up into more than one group. There's going to be one group that's going to come head on from the front. And then when the people see them, they're going to start running away, pretending like they're surrendering. So all of the people of the city of Ai would chase after them, leaving the city unguarded. Then there would be another group from behind that would come up against the city and burn it um, and conquer them that way. And God told them to use this battle strategy. So this is another example of the type of way that God works where he is giving us reasonable rational ideas he is with us he is telling us um he's, he's, he's saying this is a good strategy you know like god in this case he did not just snap his fingers and the city was destroyed kind of not different than it was with jericho he told the people fight but fight in a certain way to guarantee your victory okay second way that god works he works through the human mind he works through human reason he works through human effort Okay, obviously there was human effort in the first time as well because God told them to do work. But but the, the kind of work that was done was like purely based on faith. You know, do something that's kind of doesn't really make so much sense, but God will grant you victory through it. The second one is it makes a lot of sense. And God is the one who gave them that idea and said, do this. It makes sense to us. It makes sense why it would, would they would win using that, that method. Okay, so God granted them victory. Then they went on and they had some more battles. Okay, we spoke about one of the other battles that they had, where what happened? Where they went and attacked the people, and they were having victory, God was giving them victory, but then the people began to run away. Okay, and when the people were running away, God sent hailstones to kill the remaining people that were there. Okay, and we spoke this also about how God wants us to work, He wants us to put effort. He wants us to struggle, even when we speak about like the spiritual struggle. He wants us to struggle spiritually. But in the end, what we are unable to do, God will do, right? He could have very well sent the hailstones from the beginning. God did not do that. 
He told him, no, I want you to fight. I want you to struggle in the fight. But what it is you are unable to complete and accomplish and, and, and have victory over, I will do the rest. And it was, it's, it, it, it's really, I, I, I really love this part, you know, like this part that really demonstrates like how maybe we feel like we are responsible for the outcome of so many things. But in the end, even when we are unable to, to meet what it is that we should be doing or to reach the goal that we should be doing, in the end, God is still working and God is still in control and he demonstrates his control and what we are doing. But if the people came and they said, you know, we're not even willing to go to the war at all, you know, God would not have done this. He would not have responded in this way. He wants to see our human effort and he responds with his work. Um, so we spoke about those three kind of main themes, those three examples of how showing how God works and it's a cooperation between God and man. Okay, cooperation between God and man. Um, so those are some of the highlights. Okay, after this, we see that once all these additional wars are complete, um, all the areas that Joshua and the people have kind of traveled over, they've conquered. Um, there's still other areas of Israel that have not been conquered yet. For instance, like the area of the Philistines has yet to be conquered. Um, but at this point, they begin to divide the land. God tells uh, Joshua to divide the land and to divide it according to Lot, right? According to Lot. So God is like communicating his will of how the 12 tribes should receive the land through this lottery system, right? He doesn't go into a lot of detail about exactly how it was done. But through some kind of lottery, they it was determined what parts of the land um, each of the tribes would receive. We also read a summary of all of the battles that had taken place from the very beginning of when the people began to wander in the wilderness to this moment. So whether summarizing the battles that were led by Moses or Joshua, whether the battles were on the east side of the Jordan or the west side of the Jordan, um, all of the kind of the major battles and victories that the people had won that God was working with the people in were, were summarized. Okay, so that was the main kind of uh, overall things that we've kind of gotten to this point now, right? Joshua has now gotten older in age, okay? Uh, and, and there's been a pause now in the fighting, okay? We also spoke about how one of the major problems that we're beginning to see its um, kind of its genesis of this problem is the idea that that the Israelites are not going to completely wipe out all of the enemies, right? Once they began to feel strong, instead of destroying the enemies, they began to feel like they could just subjugate their enemies. We can be the masters over them. We can command them. They can be our slaves. Um, but we're not going to destroy them because it's a lot of effort to go to war, right? Once we begin to see that you know, we've subdued the land, we have now dominion over the land, people are afraid of us. It's easier for us to just, we'll let them to live, but they will serve us, right? They will work for us. And we read the story of the Gibeonites. The Gibeonites were the group of people who fooled Joshua into believing that they were from another land completely. Um, and, and, and so Joshua did not destroy them because he was only interested in destroying the people who lived in the land of Canaan. And then it was discovered that they lied, they deceived him, and they actually were from that land. And so not wanting to break the vow that, that Joshua had made to protect them, they still didn't destroy them, but they told them to be woodcutters and water carriers, essentially slaves. But we see this pattern kind of play out again and again in the future. In the book of Judges, God makes it very clear that, 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 that their people are being rebuked. And ultimately, this is what is led, led to the destruction of Israel. Fast forward hundreds of years, 
what eventually led to destruction of Israel was because of these pagan Gentile practices that were prevalent among all of the nations that were surrounding Israel began to seep into Israel. The people began to intermingle with those people. The people began to intermarry with those people. And that culture and those religious practices became now standard as a part of the Jewish worship. Even when the Jews were worshiping God, and yet they worshiped him according to the practices of the neighboring nations. So again, God, knowing the danger of having all these people in the vicinity, told them from the very beginning, I want you to wipe out all of these people. These pe you cannot dwell among these people and remain faithful to me, so you must wipe them out, right? And yet, even though the Hebrews, they started with this, but over some time, they were less diligent in, in, in doing in doing that okay um, so we're going to continue speaking about some of the additional inheritance and division of the land and inheritance and um, to, to another figure that we've yet to discuss um, in the book of Joshua which is Caleb um, and we'll we'll get to him um, shortly it says these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan which Eleazar the priest Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them. So again, if you remember, there was two and a half tribes that wanted to have their... Um, inheritance on the east side of the Jordan and Moses had agreed to this as long as they participated in the fighting to secure the land for the remaining tribes okay so that's what's being mentioned here um, uh, and then also we spoke about the Levites as we know the Levites were the priestly tribe they did not receive an inheritance of land because they were living spread out throughout um, the entire land for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Okay, So Joseph um, was given two portions. So if again, if how do we calculate the 12, the 12 tribes? Because right? it can be confusing. How many tribes were there? How, how do we calculate the 12? How is it that there were 12? So as far as the division of the land, there were 12 regions, and those 12 regions corresponded to the 12 tribes minus Levi, but jo jo Joseph got two. So there was no tribe of Joseph like we don't speak about the tribe of Joseph we speak about the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Ephraim right if you look at any map right there is no tribe of Joseph region and whenever the 12 tribes are mentioned there is no tribe of Joseph but Joseph actually has double right but they are in the names of his children not in his own name then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. Who is Caleb?
the other spy with Joshua. Okay, when was this? Forty years ago, or a little more than forty years ago, right at this point. So, what was the story of of Caleb? Right. So we know that when the Israelites left Egypt, they were supposed to go directly to the promised land. That was the plan. The plan was you go directly to the promised land, which was not very far, right? And But when they got there, they sent uh, spies. How many spies did they send? Twelve spies. So two of those spies were Joshua and Caleb, okay? And of all of the spies, Joshua and Caleb were the only two to come back and to give a good report of the land. They say, God has given us this great land. It is, uh, it is it's a beautiful land that is full of milk and honey. It's got all these resources, like it's everything we ever wanted. And, and even though it has all of these nations living there, but God is going to grant us victory, right? Whereas all the other ten spies, they said, no, these people are giants. We are like grasshoppers in their sight, and there's no way that we could have victory. And so we don't want to go, right? And the alternative was wandering in the desert for 40 years, right? So um, Caleb and Joshua... God wanted to reward them for their faithfulness, even though the report that they gave, the people didn't follow it. But if you notice that, they are still alive. You know? Like the people who remained alive were the people that God chose to inherit the land. We, we spoke about and we read earlier about how God waited for all of the people who originally came out of Egypt to die, and their children are the ones who inherited the land. Right? When you say, why is it 40 years? Why, why 40 years of wandering? Well, 40 years is how long it took for all that generation to, to die because those are the people who refuse to enter the land. You know, Like if you go to them now when they're older and more feeble, right? and you say, now enter the land. Well, they already rejected to enter the land the first time. The second thing, as we mentioned before, is those children of theirs, they never lived in comfort. They never lived in a city or a society. They never they were like these nomadic people wandering from place to place and 100% of their sustenance came from God directly. Like what did they eat? They ate the manna coming from heaven. What did they drink? They drank the water coming from the rock. Who was the one who was providing for them? It was God. Going back to what we said at the beginning that there are times where the work of God is very very clear and there are times where the work of God is less clear. You know, when 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 the people destroyed the city of Jericho, the work of God was very clear. When the people uh, had victory at Ai, sure, God is the one who told them the, the strategy. But the people are the ones who implemented the strategy. It appeared like, if you were to just watch this battle, it would look like there's no miracles happening here. It's just a, a normal war with a battle strategy that was smart, and they won, right? So, so... God sometimes makes himself very, very clear and sometimes not so clear. But in the end, God is still working in, in both ways, whether it's super visible and obvious or whether it's not as visible um, and obvious. Okay, So here, um, God w was waiting for all those, that initial you know, generation to die off. And the generation that remained was a much more faithful generation because everything was direct. They saw God working directly with them. They received the manna from heaven. They drank the water. They, like, they were directed by God with a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. So in every way, their lives were like 100% relying on God, you know, without any doubt. 
And when they got when God told them go walk around the city, they walked around the city. When God told them whatever they did. So the people who were from the previous generation, which include Joshua and Caleb, they were faithful, right? They demonstrated faithfulness even though they were from the generation that everyone was disobedient to God. Yet these people demonstrated faithfulness. So Joshua and Caleb remained, right? They were still alive at this time, although much older. And of course, we know that Joshua was given by God this role of leadership after Moses. And Caleb also is going to be rewarded for what he had done. So he's kind of recounting this. He's saying, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Why did they make the heart of the people melt? Because... Yeah, so making the heart melt means made them like frightened, right? Made them frightened, which is very interesting because nobody else saw, right? Nobody else saw the land. All those millions of people that had left Egypt that were to enter the land, they made the decision not to enter the land based on what those 10 people said, just based on what they said. There was nothing to. S there was not nothing that they saw themselves. It was just based on the report of the spies. So it says something about how our attitude, the degree of our faith, our kind of um, perception of things has such a big impact on the people around us. When we are hopeful, when we are thankful, when we are, you know have an attitude that God is with us and, and we see life as a whole as a joyful thing like yeah life has pain in it and life has suffering in it and life has fears and things in it but because we feel God's presence we generally go th walk through life with a sense of comfort you know not a comfort based on what is happening but a just a, a general comfort of the presence of God with me and so my attitude toward things is reflecting that faith that I have. And when people see me, they are also encouraged to have that same faith. They are encouraged to want the same thing that I have and to also have that joy and, and that, that sense of confidence and that sense of peace that comes from being in the presence of God all the time. But conversely, if a person doesn't have that strong faith and maybe when difficult times come, become consumed by those things, unable to see past them, unable to have hope, even in the midst of adversity and so on, then that also is contagious, you know? Then that brings anxiety to everyone, you know, around that person. So here you see that the all of the plight of all of the people at this point, of course, everybody rejected the words of God, but even more, the specific report that these 10 spies made had such a big impact um, on them, on, on the people. And it says here, they made the heart of the people melt. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. So Moses is telling uh, Caleb, okay? He's saying, because you went to that land and because you came back with a good report, okay, then you will receive an inheritance in this land. 
right? Just as God had told Moses that you will not inherit the promised land because of his the sin that he had committed with the water from the rock, so Moses also told Joshua, you will receive inheritance, right? This was 45 years or so prior to where we're reading now in the book of Joshua. He says, you will have inheritance. Imagine in the position of Caleb that you are living these 45 years wandering in the desert with everybody else, not because of your own choice, right? Like he could have been like the number one person, the I told you so person. You know, he would have been the one who, who, who was like grumbling and resentful against everyone around him because he is directly affected and directly suffering as a result of the decision of everyone else. You know, imagine... You know, Im- imagine you're in that situation. Like, so imagine like even on a much smaller scale. Like sometimes people they struggle with their families, right? They're maybe their families are making some foolish decision, or they have a bad attitude, a wrong attitude about something. They have some blind spot. There's something that's happening in the family that's causing pain and suffering, and maybe nobody sees it except you. You know, you're the one who can identify the problems, and you go to these people. And you say, hey, this isn't right. What you are doing is bringing suffering to yourself and suffering to me and, and, and causing the family to, to, be, to be hurt in some way, right? And they don't see it and they don't believe it and they don't want to talk about it and they don't, you know, accept. How easy is it for such a person to be angry and resentful and, and kind of even wanting to separate from this family? Like, you could have imagined Caleb's attitude be like, well, I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to go with you. You know, God has promised this land and it's a wonderful land. Why would I go and wander in the desert for what purpose? You know? But Caleb wasn't this. You know, like he, he, he maybe he, maybe this was a struggle that he struggled with, but he remained with the people and he was faithful to God. And in every way, he did the right thing without having this bitterness inside of him. But now having passed these 45 years, remembering you know, he is, re- he is the one remembering. He's remembering the words of Moses that was said to him so long ago that you will receive inheritance. Like he is hopeful and, 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 and looking forward in hope and expectation for this moment of when he would receive this inheritance that Moses promised him. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old. He was 40 years old, and now he's 85 years old. And he still wants the inheritance. He's still remembering it. This is the reward of his faithfulness. As yet I am as strong as uh, I am as strong I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war both for going out and for coming in. Caleb was still fighting. You know, like he was one of these soldiers that would go and fight his 85-year-old man, right? He was one of the ones who was still engaging in this battle. Look again at the faithfulness of this man. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. So there is actually the, this place of his inheritance that he that Moses had promised him, the place he's speaking about. It still has the enemies there. And who are the Anakim? The? Somebody said it. You sing it in a voice that no one can hear, but the giants, okay? 
the giants, this race of very large people, okay, these are the same people that when the 12 spies went in the first time, they saw them, and because of them, they fled. You know, because of these people, they ran. It says, how can we go into the land when these people are gigantic and we are grasshoppers, right? Now Caleb is saying, I am going to go into this mountain, right? And the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, like like on his own, you know? Like he's saying, he, that's how like courageous he is. That's how faithful he is. It's like, no, this is my mountain. You know, this is the mountain that God promised to me, and, and God gave us the ability to drive out all these people, and so I'm going to go to the mountains, and I'm going to take my land, and I'm going to drive out these people. Even like like the same people that frightened everyone before. And Joshua blessed him. And he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as an inheritance. Hebron, therefore, became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjath Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. Okay, so again, as I mentioned, having rest from war doesn't mean that they had conquered all of Canaan yet. They had not. But this was a pause. A pause in the war. Joshua was old in age. All the places that they had traveled, they conquered, but they hadn't yet conquered everything. Okay? So this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. The border of Edom at the wilderness of Zin southward was the extreme southern boundary. And their southern border began at the shore of the Salt Sea from the bay that faces southward. I showed a map last time that showed all of these, you know, regions. Then it went out to the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim, uh, passed along to Zin, ascended on the south side of Kadesh Barnea, passed along to Hebron, went up to Adar, and went around to Karka. From there it passed toward Asman and went out to the brook of Egypt, and the border ended at the sea. This shall be your southern border. The east border was the Salt Sea, as far as the mouth of the Jordan, and the border on the northern quarter began at the Bay of the Sea at the mouth of the Jordan. The border went up to Beth Hogla and passed north of Beth Arba, and the border went up to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then the border went up toward Deber from the valley of Achor, and it turned northward toward Gilgal, which is before the ascent of Adumim, which is on the south side of the valley. The border continued toward the waters of En Shemesh and ended at En Rogel. And the border went up by the valley of the son of Hinnom to the southern slope of the Jebusite city, which is Jerusalem. The border went up to the top of the mountain that lies before the valley of Hinnom westward, which is at the end of the valley of Rephaim northward. Then the border went around from the top of the hill to the fountain of the water of Nephtoah and extended to the cities of Mount Ephron. And the border went around Bala, which is Kirjath-Jerim. Then the border turned westward from Bala to Mount Seir, passed along to the side of Mount Jerim on the north, which is Sheselon, went down to Beth Shemesh, and passed on to Timnah. And the border went out to the side of Ekron northward, and then the border went around Shikron, passed along to the Mount Bala, and extended to Jabneel, and the border ended at the sea. The west border was the coastline of the Great Sea. This is the Mediterranean Sea. And this is the boundary of the children of Israel all around according to their families. Now to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua. 
namely Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, Sheshai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the children of Anak. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber, formerly the name of Deber was Kirjath Sefer. And Caleb said, he who attacks Kirjath Sefer and takes it, to him I will give him Aksa, my daughter, as wife. So this region, Caleb is saying, anyone who comes and helps to take this region, um, I will let him to marry my daughter. So Othaniel, the son of Kenaz, the brother of Caleb, took it, and he gave him Aksa, as da uh, his daughter, as wife. Okay, so who is Othaniel? Oth uh, he is, how is he related to Caleb? He is the nephew of Caleb. Okay? And where else do we read about him? He becomes one of the judges in the book of Judges. Okay? So we, we read about him actually when we studied the book of Judges, which is the book after Joshua. Now it was so, when she came to him, that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So now this woman, Aksa, She's married Othaniel, okay, and she is trying to convince her husband, which is the nephew of Caleb, to for so that his uncle would, would allow them to have a field, okay? Um, so she dismounted from her donkey, and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing. Since you have given me land in the south, give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. This, w this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. So now we have a list um, of all of these um, places. The cities at the limit of the tribe of Judah of the children of Israel toward the border of Edom and the south were Kebzeel, Eder, Jagger, Kina, Dimona, Adada, Kedesh, Hazor, Ithnan, Ziph, Telem, Bealoth, Hazor, Hadata, Kerioth, Hezron, which is Hazor, Amam, Shema, Molada. See, I'm sure for those people this had a, a lot more meaning. Hazar, Gada, Hezman, Peth, Pelet, Hazar, Shual, Bersheba, Bizjoth, Jah, Bala, Ijim, Ezim, Eltolad, Chesil, Horma, Ziklag, Madmana, Sansana, Lebaoth, Shilhim, Ain, and Rimen. All the cities are 29 with their villages. There's more. In the lowland, Eshtaol, Zora, Ashna, Zanoa, Enganim, Tapua, Enam, Jarmuth, Adalam, Soka, Soko, Ezekah, Sharaim, Adathaim, Gadera, and Gedarothaim. Fourteen cities with their villages. Zinan, Hadasha, Migdal, Gad, Dilian, Mizpah, Jokthil, Lakish, Bozkath, Eglon, Kaban, Lahmas, Kithilish, Gedaroth, Beth Dagon, Nema and Makeda, 16 cities with their villages. Libna, Ether, Ashan, Jifta, Ashna, Nezib, Kila, Akzib, and Merisha, nine cities with their villages. Ekron with its town and villages. From Ekron to the sea, all that lay near Ashdod with their villages, Ashdod with its towns and villages, Gaza with its town and villages, as far as the brook of Egypt and the great sea, with its coastline. And in the mountain country, Shemer, Jeter, Soko, Dana, Kirjath, Sena, which is Deber, Enab, Ashtamo, Anim, Goshen, Holon, and Gilo, 11 cities with their villages. 
Arab, Duma, Eshian, Janum, Beth Tapua, Africa, Ham, uh, Hamta, Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, and Zior, nine cities with their villages. Mayon, Carmel, Ziph, Jutas, Jezreel, Joktim, Zanoah, Cain, Gibeah, and Timnah, ten cities with their villages. Halhul, Beth Zur, Gedor, Marath, Beth Anoth, and El Tekon, six cities with their villages. Kirjath Baal, which is Kirjath Jerem, and Rabbah, two cities with their villages. In the wilderness, Beth Arba, Medin, Sekeka, Nibshan, the city of Salt, and Engedi, six cities with their villages. As for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out, but the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Okay? Not, th not at this time. The lot fell to the children of Joseph from the Jordan by Jericho to the waters of Jericho on the east, to the wilderness that goes up from Jericho through the mountains to Bethel, then went out from Bethel to Luz, passed along to the border of the Archites at Ataroth. So here we're speaking about um, the, um, the, 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 the lot that fell to the children of Joseph. So this is includes the tribe of Manasseh um, on the east side of the, of the Jordan River. Okay. And went down westward to the, to the boundary of the Japhetites as far as the boundary of lower Beth Horon to Gezer, and it ended at the sea. So the children of Joseph, Manasseh, and Ephraim took their inheritance. The border of the children of Ephraim, according to their families, was thus. The border of their inheritance on the east side was Ataroth Adar, as far as the as upper Beth Horon. And the border went out toward the sea on the north side of Michmethath. Then the border went around eastward to Tenath Shiloh and passed by it on the east of Janoha. Then it went down from Janoha to Ataroth and Nara, reached to Jericho, and came out at the Jordan. The border went out from Tapua westward to the brook Cana, and it ended at the sea. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Ephraim, according to their families. The separate cities for the children of Ephraim were among the inheritance of the children of Manasseh, all the cities with their villages. And they did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. So this is what I was mentioning, that they began to subdue these people, and instead of conquering them or driving them out, they dwell with them, but they made them to be servants um, and slaves. Okay. So that was a description of Ephraim, which is one of the sons of Joseph. Now there is, and, and, and that was... Um, the speaking about um, yeah Ephraim. Now here we're speaking about Manasseh. There was also a lot for the tribe of Manasseh, for he was the firstborn of Joseph, namely from Maker, the firstborn of Manasseh, the father of Gilead, because he was a uh, he was a man of war. Therefore, he was given Gilead and Bashan. And there was a lot for the rest of the children of Manasseh, according to their families, for the children of Abiezer, the children of Helek, the children of Asriel, the children of Shechem, the children of Hefer, and the children of Shemida. These were the male children of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, according to their families. But Zelophehad, uh, the son of Hefer, the son of Gilead, the son of Maker, the son of Manasseh, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters, Mahla, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. 
And they came before Eleazar the priest, before Joshua the son of Nun, and before the rulers, saying, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance among our brothers. Therefore, according to the commandment of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among their father's brothers. So even though um, he didn't have any sons, and typically the sons would be the ones to inherit, and yet the daughters received um, the inheritance according to the command that Moses had given. Ten shares fell to Manasseh beside the land of Gilead and Bashan, which were on the other side of the Jordan, because the daughters of Manasseh received an inheritance among his sons, and the rest of Manasseh's sons had the land of Gilead. And the territory of Manasseh was from Asher to Michmethath, that lies east of Shechem, and the border went along south to the inhabitants of Entapua. Manasseh had the land of Tapua, but Tapua on the border of Manasseh belonged to the children of Ephraim. And the border descended to Brook Kena, southward to the brook. These cities of Ephraim are among the cities of Manasseh. The border of Manasseh was on the north side of the brook, and it ended at the sea. Southward it was Ephraim's, northward it was Manasseh's, and the sea was its border. Manasseh's territory was adjoining Asher on the north and Issachar on the east. And then Issachar and in Asher, Manasseh had Beth Sheen and its towns, Iblium, and its towns, the inhabitants of Dor, and its towns, the inhabitants of Endor, and its towns, the inhabitants of Tanakh, and its towns, and the inhabitants of Megiddo, and its towns, the, uh, three hilly regions. Yet the children of Manasseh could not drive out the inhabitants of those cities, but the Canaanites were determined to dwell in that land. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. So we see again that this is beginning to happen more often. Then the children of Joseph spoke to Joshua, saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit, since we are a great people, inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now? So Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the Perizzites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. So he's saying like the land that we've received is not enough for us, right? We are a great tribe and we want more. So Joshua is saying to them, go and clear for yourself this land, since the land you have been given is not sufficient. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron, both those who are of Beth Sheen and its towns and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people and have great power. Uh, you shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours. For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So he's telling them in response, No, you are a strong tribe, even though they have iron chariots and they're powerful, but you are also a powerful tribe and you're able to overcome them. So go and take that land in the mountains, and this will be for you. So I know there was a lot of names and a lot of places which are difficult to pronounce. Um, but, you know, this is... Um, this is something that sometimes we'll find in the Bible. And again, as I've mentioned before, the importance of having these names and the, of whether it be places or people is because it verifies the authenticity of the Bible. It verifies the authenticity of the story. That these are people who really lived. And sometimes the, the names of the people that we find in the scripture, we can find them in extra-biblical accounts. Right? This is one of the ways that you prove that something is authentic. So 
let's say I'll give you an example. Like there were people for the longest time that they read the story of Pontius Pilate. And they said, this doesn't make any sense. If Pontius Pilate is a governor, a prefect, a Roman prefect, he would not act in the way that he did. He would not be so cowardly. He would not just be so influenced by the Jews. If he truly believed that Jesus should not have been crucified, he wouldn't have been provoked or influenced by the Jews saying, no, you must be crucified, so on. So people look at the, at the way he is portrayed in the Bible, and they say this cannot be real, right? And, 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 and maybe there was a time where there was very little or no extra-biblical accounts of the existence of this man, right? But then after some time, they discovered there were some like archaeological discoveries where and, 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 and manuscripts and so on that was discovered that is mentioning Pontius Pilate outside of the Bible, right? So somebody comes and says, well, the Bible's all invented, right? We invented this person named Pontius Pilate, didn't really exist, right? Invented a person named Joshua, didn't really exist. Invented um, all of these things and all these places, doesn't really exist. Because sometimes also people will come and they'll say, well, the Bible says that such and such city existed in such a location. And because geographically, you can, the people who understand what all these names mean, you can go and find where that location is. And you say, okay, are there is there any evidence of such a place? And so uh, many times what will happen is people who are critical of the Bible and don't believe that it's true, they will come and say, look, this, the Bible says there is such a place in this, uh, such a city in this location. It's not there. But then years later, there'll be some kind of archaeological discovery and discover there is, in fact, a city that they unearthed that was in that place. And, and again, they'll find things that reference people's names um, that are also mentioned in Scripture and so on. Like one of the other ways that we uh, determine the authenticity of Scripture is when you have people who are kind of hostile toward the Scripture that validate the existence or, the, or that certain events happen. So, for instance, like the idea of the resurrection of Christ. There are Jewish philosophers, Jewish historians that lived at that time that even though they were Jewish, right, so they are not pro-Christian in any way, nor do they believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but they will validate the fact that the Jesus as a man existed. Right. They will validate that there was a belief by some that there was this resurrection that happened, that there was the empty tomb, that there was a crucifixion. That so you have this group of people who they're not trying to convince you of the truth of Christianity because they don't believe in Christianity. But just as a historical fact, there are certain places, certain people, certain events that all have taken place. So so even though for us, maybe when we read these things and we question, like, what is the relevance of this? Because think about it, like this is. All of these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. You know, like, like it's not just random facts that are useless. You know, even maybe we look at them and we don't understand the spiritual significance of them, right? But there's a reason that they're there. And if anything, you know, if only for validating the truth, the veracity of these words and, and these stories, because they really did happen. And here is kind of, for people who are skeptical, here is a way to validate the authenticity of everything that was there. So, um, God willing, next time we'll have less names, uh, make it easier to read. Um, is there any final comments or questions before we conclude? I know we finished a little bit early today. Yeah, so some of the church fathers, they go into very deep uh, spiritual contemplation on each and every name and each and every place um, of the scripture right 
like origin i believe it's origin uh, so like all of the stations that the israelites stopped in in the 40 years of wandering in the desert he makes like an analogy to the spiritual journey it's like he says okay if passing through the red sea uh leaving egypt if that's baptism like in the from a spiritual perspective and the life of a believer if that's baptism and entering into the promised land after the 40 years if that's going to heaven because this is what we say is our spiritual promised land then that means everything that happened in between that point of exiting egypt to entering into the promised land that all of that was representing the spiritual journey the spiritual struggle of every human being okay so he goes to the extent of like every location has some spiritual significance right every location whether it be the name of the place what happens in the place or and you know and he goes into a lot of detail and I, I, I didn't include things like that because it's very, very involved. Like, it takes a very long time to study and understand it. But just so that you're aware, like, there are some church fathers that very allegorical interpretations of things, and they will come to each of these names and places, and they'll find some kind of significance um, in it. Thank you. Okay, let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your blessing. We ask that you be with us and help us to understand the scripture and help us to learn, O Lord, and take from it all the things that are necessary for our life. Grant us, O Lord, your strength and have patience with us as we struggle and as we fall and as we commit sins. Help us, O Lord, to feel that you are kind and compassionate. You forgive us, O Lord, for you are merciful. We ask, O God, that you give us strength and courage and faith as you did with Joshua and Caleb, that you allow us to stand before our enemies, O God, whether physical or spiritual, and you do not let us to fall back or retreat, but to believe, O Lord, that you are with us and that you are crushing, O Lord, them under your feet. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen. Finally, I just want to like ask if you guys, especially those who come to the Bible study regularly, if you could try to invite some people to come, because I feel like a lot of times, I mean, God willing today, thank God, like there's more people than sometimes comes, but sometimes it's just a very, very few number of people. Um, but I think a lot of people can benefit and I benefit myself. So if you can try to invite your friends, invite other people to come, I think it'll be very nice. Thank you.